Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andy Arnott with Amy Wees. And this is Seller Roundtable number 96. We got Zach Leonard on. Oh, Zach, I got it. What can I say? Nailed it. Second time's a charm. <laughs> there you go. Excited to be here. Yeah. So thank you so much for being on. And uh, Zach is a master of product development, and he's going to uh, take our questions today. And uh, Zach, before we get started, we'd love to hear uh, your backstory, kind of how you got to where you are today in terms of growing up, where you grew up, college, school, you know, hard knocks, any of those kinds of things. We'd love to hear about that. The whole thing. All right, cool. Um, well, I uh, grew up in Minneapolis originally. Um, so, you know, Skull Vikings, go Gophers for all you sports fans out there. Um, and then went to school at University of Texas, where I currently still reside in Austin. Um, then fresh out of school, went into uh, credit risk consulting and then moved into more of the startup world, worked at a company called Instacart, uh, headed up the operations in the Texas market. So helped launch Austin, Houston, uh, San Antonio, Dallas, and helped foster partnerships with companies like Whole Foods and HEB. Um, you know, really saw what explosive unicorn growth looks like, um, you know, as they continue their journey, hopefully to IPO here in, in uh, 2021. And then uh, focused on, you know, continuing down into heavy operations and, and, and the last mile supply chain at a company called Dropoff. We focused on larger scale delivery, but still focusing on that at, on, the, on the supply chain side of things. And that's, I think, what started me on this journey of creating the company that I currently run right now called Gemba, um, which is a product innovation platform where we help um, our customers and, and clients bring awesome products to life. So, you know, the way it works is People have ideas, they, they put them down on paper or, or speak them to our team and we match them with the team of industrial designers, mechanical engineers or electrical engineers to you know, build the collateral that they need to go have really good and professional conversations with the factories. And then ultimately we have a team overseas in China, Vietnam, India, Bangladesh, uh, Turkey, South America, Mexico, you know, kind of all over now to help them get bids on their products so that they can, you know, work with a really high end factory partner and then, you know, go into full scale production with them to bring that product finally to their customers. So, um, you know, what brought me there was really just seeing that there was a huge gap for, um, small mid-sized businesses and entrepreneurs to have that expertise and those resources available to them. Um, you know, there's outlets like agencies, there's outlets like Upwork that, you know, can work. Um, but ultimately what you need is a team to build your product and, you know, for, for resource constrained and time constrained founders and entrepreneurs and small businesses, um, you need to act fast on your idea or else someone else might take it. So, uh, our, our goal is to put you, you know, with the team in the process that can get your products out there as, you know, the most efficient way and with a trusted, you know, vetted team and network and, and, and factory partner that can really work for you and, and not uh, uh, hinder your growth and hinder the launch of your product. That's I love it. Amazing. So it's like a shortcut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a done for you, a done for you process. And, 
you know, so can, speaking of processes, can we talk about your process? So sure. can we talk about the product development process that you go through? I think whether or not, you know, somebody works with an agency like yours, uh, it's really good to understand the process that you guys go through and apply that to our own businesses. So mm -hmm. let's talk about that. What's the process that you go through um, when you bring on a new client and help them? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> there's, there's a, it really depends on what kind of product they're making, but first it's matching them with, and then this is where more, we're less of an agency and more of a platform where we, you know, once they come in and actually um, put in their RFQ and put in their PRD, or we help them develop those PRDs with whatever expert they need to be matched up with, it then goes into a bidding system um, where, you know, we have multiple teams that we assign based on the type of product. So let's just, for example, say that um, you have a idea that you want to make with a cup that has temperature gauge and volume control, right? So that requires some sort of insulation, which is mechanical engineering. And it requires some sort of, you know, electronics. So that's an electrical engineer and it requires some sort of design. So that's industrial designer. So the first step is building out the team. Um, that's step one in the process to make sure that you have the proper people on your team to create the product. The next step, whether it's going to be an agile process or if it's just a streamlined process that you're trying to figure out, you know, the next step is kind of how we take it from there. Agile means you kind of go in these sprints and you're kind of tackling as much as you can during those sprints to make sure that they get those products out in the market or get those products collateral done to a point where, you know, you can start talking to the factories. There might actually also need to loop in the factory earlier in the conversation being that you might have to source some components if you're trying to go into that type of manufacturing. So it really, really depends on if it's, you know, incremental innovation, what I like to call it, just making slight tweaks to things that already are out there, or if you're actually coming out with something novel. If it's something novel, there's a lot more testing, prototyping, et cetera, that goes into it, um, which can draw up the timeline. And then you have to make decisions along the way of, hey, do I want to do this overseas with the factory partner that I've chosen? Do I want to make the prototypes a 3D printer? Do I want to make the prototypes in a small batch manufacturer, right? So like all of these things kind of spun out into this crazy process, but ultimately you work in, you know, one to two month sprints based on where you are and you try to get everyone on the team aligned so that once you kick the product off, you're kind of running parallel tracks, um, which ultimately depends on, again, the type of product that you have. Um, speaking, so like, of, go speaking of type of products, like, you know, how do you, I'm sure you probably get people coming to you with ideas for products that might seem kind of crazy. <laughs> do you have any kind of like validation process that you work through with clients in terms of, you know, or, I mean, I'm sure some products are really complicated and you want to keep it minimum viable. You want to make sure that you're developing the components the right way, which I love that you bring in all these different types of engineers and you get everything going, but sometimes you can overdevelop a product and sometimes it can be too much. So is, is there any kind of validation process that you follow or that you recommend to your clients? Yeah. So we have, and again, this is going to also depend on where you plan on selling that product because um, the behaviors of people who buy things on Amazon is going to be different than behaviors of people who buy things on a Shopify website, right? right? And so for the Amazon space, I mean, you can use, we have a proprietary tool that we have developed that we can help, you know, look at the analytics and look at who's, you know, 
who's searching for things and, and who's uh, buying certain, you know, certain trends and what the pricing should be and how all that works. And so you can kind of figure out like to the bill materials, to the engineering costs, all that, with your final product going to give you enough margin to actually go forward or not. If it's on somewhere like Shopify, that, that really is going to depend on, the, you know, how much dollars and marketing and, and what analysis is out there to help kind of find com complementary products uh, to, you know, go to market with that. But at the end of the day, I think regardless if you um, use our system or use someone else's system, um, product development is really time consuming and really expensive. And so your first step should always be to validate the opportunity in some form or fashion. So whether you do that yourself, um, whether you do that with a system or a product or data, um, you should do that because again, it, it only gets more intense and more sophisticated and more challenging once you get past that research part. And again, if you're thinking about products that are injection molded, so plastics and metals or including electronics, like that's where the, that's where the development costs get much more expensive. And the research is probably the cheapest and least time consuming part of that process. So it makes a lot of sense to do all that research and have conviction before you start spending the bigger costs, which are getting, you know, the product launched. And then this, probably the largest cost, which is, can you fulfill inventory for not only just the first purchase, but the second purchase and the third purchase. So that's where it starts to add up from a cost perspective. Right. So you want to think about that from the very beginning, um, whether or not, you know, that is a viable product and how much, you know, I always ask in our, in our process, in our concept to launch process, we talk about how much manufacturing is required and what is your manufacturing process? So we always try and, and encourage folks to learn their manufacturing process. Of course, they don't have to be an engineer, no. but they should learn about the process. They should learn about the materials and they should know how much manufacturing is required before they get into a product. Um, you know, and of course, validating the idea first. So before I interrupted you, you were talking about how people come to you and they have, um, you know, product ideas and you're working with them with different engineers, with different teams, kind of trying to move the project forward. And so I'll let you please continue with your product development process. Yeah. Um, so once, once that team is developed, then depending on the product, it's going to go into Kind of that first ideation phase which is more of you know doing research in the market patent searches making sure that you know what you're trying to set out to do again is not going to infringe anything that's already out there um, then going into concept you know concepting which is more sketches and you know lo-fi renderings and, and and stuff like that um, and then once you again for like an injection molded item um, that's where you can start playing around with like the form factor and, and understanding you know what pieces if you're adding electronics that can fit where and that's where the engineering kind of comes in so the first phase is really just con conceptualizing and research um, the second phase you know goes more into like the actual engineering of it um, and then the third phase is you know finalizing everything that you need to go which we call the dfm stage so you're starting to engage factories you're starting to understand what their capabilities are if there's things that you need their help with engineering wise you kind of help get them involved get them excited about you know launching this product with you and then they might put their time and effort into it as well and so we typically at a high you, level yeah i love ahead. that you do that you know so it sounds like you know a lot of us when we have ideas for products we don't do as much development up front 
uh, I think it's often hard for people to find good engineers. You know, I've, I've got, um, or product designers, things like that, people who are certified in DFM, design for manufacturing. Um, so I love how you're taking the time to really develop the product first, to really think through all of the aspects of the product and how it will work. And that way, by the time you get to the factory, get to the point where you're talking to the factory and finding a good manufacturing partner, you already know what that product is going to be. I think a lot of people have an idea for differentiation, but they kind of skip development. Right. And they just go straight to a factory and, uh, and say, Hey, I want to put this handle here. I want to change this color here. Like, what should I do? Right. Right. Um, and often they get charged even a lot more because the factory goes, oh, this takes development. Like now we're going to have to, you know, put a lot more into this. And so they don't get the pricing that they need because they're not really taking the time to understand the development of the product. Do you have any recommendations for, especially brands that are newer and are just starting out wanting to differentiate a product and do you have any recommendations for that product development process when you're going it alone? <laughs> going at it alone. Um, that's, that's really challenging. Um, I mean, my advice would be to hire experts and, and try and, you know, get, get as much expertise into your product as possible. Um, and, and the shortcuts that you don't avoid in that process are going to pay dividends in the long run. Um, the second thing I would say is, you know, depending on what kind of product you're trying to make, if again, if it is something truly novel or if it is something that, you know, you're just trying to make an incremental innovation, you know, use what's out there as much as possible um, to help guide you from manufacturability and manufacturing cost perspective. Because again, you could have the greatest idea in the world. Will people pay for it at the end of the day? And can you make your margin? Like that, that's what matters as well. Like I can create an awesome product, but if I'm underwater from a margin perspective, it won't matter. So and that um, happens I, to so many people, you know, they have a great idea and they spend a lot of money developing it and they don't think about, they get into manufacturing and they go, oh, okay, I'm hoping I can sell it for this much. I'm hoping yeah. that, you know, and the customer just isn't going to pay it, you know? Yeah. So it's, I agree 100%, you know, you do have yeah. to think of all of those things. You want to hire your experts and stuff up front because that's the firm foundation of the product, but you also want to think ahead right? And make sure yeah. that your, your margins are going to be there. So yep. what about these, if you have a really innovative product and, and maybe you're not, I, I know you're not, you're not a bank. And so maybe you won't have advice here, but I thought I'd ask you anyway, because you do have a lot of resources. So when it comes to a really innovative product that might cost a lot, you, you of course recommend hiring experts, but some of those experts can be really, really expensive. Do you have any advice there about how to find good experts and also how to fund larger product projects? Well, for hiring experts, you should come to people like you or, or me, uh, come to Gemba and we can find them for you. Um, and then as far as funding projects, um, you know, look, I, I think there's a lot of, you know, money out there uh, to be given away or, or earned or however you want to say it invested in, uh, in this space. There's a ton of, you know, angel investors and stuff like that, that can help, you know, bring your idea to life. I think if you can put together a really compelling 
story that maps a lot of what we're talking about, which is the research, you know, trying trying to de-risk the situation from a cost perspective. So no, you know, get as far as you can, I guess, in, into the point of where you need money, and then, you know, use use things like you know, angel investors use things like Indiegogo or Kickstarter if you need to go that route to get money. Um, see if someone will give you an SBA loan. Like if you have that conviction, you believe that the product is going to be there. Uh, from a from a margin perspective, and if you believe that, you know this is a really truly something that that is going to solve a problem, and going to be a hit product, like go for it. That's that's my advice. <laughs> yeah, I I agree that it's it's worth it. You know, I started and and my product needed molds. My the my product that started me on this whole journey it needed molds, and those molds were really you know expensive but oh, yeah. i had validated that this was going to be a good product and it was going to be worth it and uh and i was able to pay those initial expenses off pretty quickly um and so i think you know as long as you set up a proper business foundation and and i always tell people think about what you're building you know you're not you're not going to get that money back immediately, but think about what it might be worth and think about your total addressable market and, you know, what, what you could do with your, with your sales there. So as far as manufacturers, you mentioned Zach, that you guys really source from all over the world. You mm -hmm. source from, I think you said Turkey, um, lots of different countries. And uh, this is a time when people really are looking to source outside of China. They're really looking to move their manufacturing elsewhere. I have clients that are sourcing from Brazil, that are sourcing from Mexico, that are sourcing from all over Europe, the US. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm always so impressed with that. I'm like, yes, you're finding, where are you finding these manufacturers? This is so awesome. So do you have any advice for folks that are wanting to find manufacturers that are not, maybe not in China. Sometimes China is the best place to have your product manufactured, depending on what it is. But what about people wanting to find manufacturer options outside of China? Do you have any advice for, um, for resources for that? <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is one big pitch for Gemba, but I don't want it to be that. But I mean, in general, um, our philosophy is that you find someone who's physically in the, in the place you're going to do manufacturing. So you have some sort of representation locally that you don't have to get on a plane yourself and go there and then just task them with what you want them to do. Right. Like if you want them to visit the factory and take photos and videos of the production line, do that. Um, you know, I, I think again, depending on how large your production volume is, depending on how much money you're going to spend is going to depend on what kind of factory you're going to work with. Um, if you're just starting out, you know, you're going to be working with a tier three factory and you're, and you're just going to have to understand what the challenges are to work with those types of factories. Um, the game is a little bit different than if you go into the tier two or tier one type of factory. Mm -hmm. And that's where you want to get to, right? If you can show a successful product, um, have that traction and get into the, you know, six, seven figure range of, you know, sales and, and revenue and all that stuff, then you can level up. But if the expectation is, you know, well, I'm creating a product for the first time and my budget's X, you know, a couple 20,000, 30,000 bucks, like don't expect to go into a tier one factory with that kind of budget. Cause they're only going to talk to people, uh, that are doing tens of millions of dollars. And so I think just kind of level setting in general, that's, that's the two things I would say is find someone locally and then just like, know, know where you are on, on the totem pole and, and then lean into that. Right. Like it just means there's a little bit extra work that needs to go into it. But at the end of the day, you know, 
it, it, it's a process that I think will help a lot of people, at least from a mindset perspective, understand like what they're going up against, right? Like you gotta be pragmatic about the situation, especially if you're going down this path. Yeah, and, and I think that's so important to talk about is, um, I think a lot of people have this unrealistic expectation that the factory is just going to take care of everything. <laughs> you know, the factory is going to make sure that the products are quality, right? The factory is going to make my product right, right? <laughs> you know, and it's, it's really quality control, especially when you're just starting out, it's your responsibility. Yeah. It's your responsibility as the brand owner to make sure that your specifications are on point, to make sure that you have quality control processes in place. Because when you're working with those lower tier factories and you're, you're really, it's, it's going to fall on you. They're not going to have the infrastructure in place to make sure that you know everything is made exactly the same and mm -hmm. everything is made exactly to standards. The, the, the information that you provide is so, so important. And I love what you said, Zach, about, you know, find somebody who's on the ground there and who can be your eyes and ears and who can go and talk to the factory for you, who can, you know, get samples for you because not only are you cutting down the time mm -hmm. that it's going to take you through production, right? But um, versus waiting for samples forever and, and all of that, or, you know, but also you're going to increase your, your likelihood of success by having somebody who's nearby <laughs> and mm -hmm. who can check in on things and see how things are going. I love to, especially with new factories, make sure I'm doing mid-production checks, you know, pre-production checks, make sure everything is good to go, set up that they understand all of my specifications, mid-production checks to make sure everything's going well before an entire order fails an inspection and I have to remake it, you know, and then of course, you know, post-production before we're shipping anything out. Um, so I, I love those pieces of advice. The only thing that you didn't give up is how do we find those people? So if I want to manufacture in Turkey, <laughs> do I just Google it? How do I find the guy who's going to be the good guy, um, you know, to, to help me? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I think again, if you don't go to places like Gemba, um, you can try LinkedIn, you can try Upwork, you can try a bunch of other, you know, talent network type things. Um, there's agencies in all of those countries where you can try and find people. Um, you know, you're putting a lot of trust in someone you've never met before. So I'd just be careful and make sure that, you know, you have all the proper documentation and, and contracts in place. And I would say the same thing for factories. Um, a lot of the things that you talked about QA and, and what happens if things go wrong should be in your contract that you have with the factory, no matter what um, they, you know, and if, if they aren't, then <laughs> you're playing by their rules. So, yeah. um, you know, and a lot I, of people I, do that, you know, a lot of people don't have any contracts. They don't have conversations with their suppliers. They just kind of like, you know, order something on Alibaba and hope for the best. <laughs> but yeah. It's not really a good, a good thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, it, that's, again, it could be a good way to get started, but is it sustainable? I, I, I don't really think so. I think that differentiation is, is paramount to, to, you know, succeeding in the product world. Um, what it's on Alibaba, they've done an amazing job of being able to bring catalogs of products and, and, and 
factories to the mainstream public. Um, what they don't do really well is custom. And so that's where you have to really get into the weeds of vetting and, and, and testing factories. And the real way you're going to do that is through the sampling process. And, and, you know, they could, they could have all their paperwork in order. They could have all the audits in order. They could do everything that you keep saying, yes, 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 yes. You're really not going to know until you get that first sample. Um, and so that's going to be your true test. And you can, you know, I've seen factories that, you know, look amazing on paper and even in person. And even when they get, when they get down to creating the sample, it's just, it's just poor. I mean, it happens. So you just have to know that that's, that can happen. Always have a backup plan. Our philosophy is to, you know, find somewhere around six really good factories to start narrow it down to two. And then if you want to narrow it down to one from there, that's, that's the best approach. Um, but always have a plan B in case plan A does not go well. Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.